Hi, I'm Aiden Bassett. I am the Summer 2020 Daily Californian Opinion Editor. And my name is Kat Schock, and I'm um, the Summer 2020 Deputy Opinion Editor. And we will be your hosts for Who We Are, which will be an identity-focused pseudo-news podcast where sometimes Kat and I opine on the news, and sometimes we just opine irrespective of the facts and the events. Um, our thinking for this podcast is that it will center around queer issues. Kat and I both, I believe, currently identify as bisexual. And we'll be taking it one day at a time. So we will have episodes around queer history, around queer allyship, around the legal progress of queer folks, and about our own personal lives and how we've come to terms with our identities and how we see our place in the world and in the queer community. So. That's our thinking for this podcast. And um, for this first one, Kat and I are going to talk about how we came out, came out to ourselves, came out to other people in our lives, and came to terms with being bi or being queer generally. So uh, Kat, do you, do you want to kick it off with how old you think you were when you first like really came out to yourself, came, came to accept that you probably weren't straight? Oh gosh, this is weird, but um, I went to this Chinese um, elementary school for five years and there I didn't really know any queer people. I had, had no exposure to queer relationships or the concept of being not straight. Um, and I generally just didn't really know any queer people until I hit middle school and that's where the concept was kind of introduced to me but I didn't really think much of it I've never really been a person who like crushes like has crushes really often or really? crushes really hard yeah I know <laughs> um but um yeah I think it was sort of just a gradual kind of understanding for me I I mean I feel lucky to have grown up in the era of like YouTube and social mm -hmm. media because that's Definitely. I think where I started like learning more about the community, like watching <laughs> YouTubers like Hannah Hart and Tyler Oakley, which yeah. was, Makes I think, yeah, yeah, it really does just to like have that kind of role model. And I think if there was like one moment where I realized that I wasn't straight was um, summer before my freshman year of high school, I was at... Okay great america with um wow. a friend and we were just walking around talking about life um my friend was in a relationship and so um oh she she's a lesbian and she was just like talking to me about like what her relationship was like and i was, and then as like you know conversation carried on we were walking through the park it was like uh, a nice summer day plenty of um gorgeous attractive wonderful humans out and about and i just kind of like realized that i was kind of looking at men and women or hmm. male and female presenting people like in the same kind of way hmm. and i was just like huh interesting information i'll file that away for later consideration <laughs> just because of my family like that's just not something that we ever really talked about or discussed and so for, I just kind of like thought about it for a couple of years. And my junior year of high school was the first time I became 
like really, really close friends with somebody who was queer Mm -hmm. and talking to her about her experiences and how she felt, you know, being, or she identifies as bisexual. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, well, damn, that sounds like me, huh? I guess I'm bi. (laughs) And that was kind of it. It wasn't really anything dramatic or like life changing. um, But or I guess it was life-changing. I take that back. It was super life-changing. Um, but yeah, that's kind of it. And then I started talking to my friends about it. I was like, hey guys, I'm just like a little, I'm, I'm your token queer friend, I guess now. Um, become, yeah. And, and then, yeah. And how old do you think you were when you started like telling your friends? Um, 17. 17? Which, yeah, I think that's it's kind of late in the in the scope of queerness or I think like today it's kind of late yeah I think it's yeah I think it's so cool how I don't know looking on Twitter and on the Instagram on Instagram and on just like social media in general seeing how young kids are when they yeah figure out their identities and like embody their identities that's yeah I don't know that's something that I never really had the courage to you know figure out until I was like older yeah and yeah, and then it took me like another year and a half before I could like tell my family and like my parents about all that stuff. So, you know, it's a journey. It's a process. You know, it's interesting that you say it took, like, I think most people tell their friends before they tell their families. I mean, from, yeah. from everything I know from, from friends of mine who've, you know, discussed their coming out with me, it is very typical for people to feel more comfortable discussing it with non-family members first, even if they think their families will be understanding yeah um yeah that's that's interesting i i definitely did the same i came out to kind of friends one at a time before i came out to my family you know it's it's interesting too that you talk about youtubers because i for better or for worse was not very online as a kid like Mm -hmm. i think it wasn't (laughs) i don't remember when i got a phone i think it was high school maybe the end of middle school I'm really yeah the end of middle school probably but I I didn't spend that much time online like I didn't have favorite YouTube personalities um so that wasn't so much my exposure to it and I think maybe if it had been I might have even felt comfortable coming out earlier um but that's not to say that I didn't have frames of reference for queerness Mm -hmm. um I currently live in Eugene which is where I was born haven't lived here in 20 years but or 15 um but a ton of my parents' social network, at least, are lesbian. A ton of people um, are either single parents or, or have been partnered. Um, uh, my girlfriend at the moment, actually, her, her mother is um, a lesbian. And so all my life, like from the time I was a kid, I've had role models in my life who were queer, who were raising queer families, um, And I definitely think I should have better understood that that was an option, that that's what that meant, was that if they could be queer, I could be queer too. Um, But it's interesting to me that that, I think think there were a lot of factors that kept me from internalizing that that was an option. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think maybe the biggest one was, I've always been very flamboyant. Like it's, you know, no one comes up to me and is shocked to find out I'm queer. Like people, <laughs> most people even tell me like they assumed I was gay and not bi. I seem that flamboyant to them. Um, and that's true. I, I definitely am, you know, quite flaming <laughs> quite often. Um, but because I am that way, uh, boys my age in middle school 
would just be be merciless and you know like I think the number of times I was called faggot or heard someone say the word faggot was very rare. I mean, maybe I could count on one hand, like, you know, growing up in Massachusetts, especially, you know, the, the Boston suburbs, it wasn't like a, a, an intensely religious or intensely homophobic atmosphere where that wouldn't have been welcome, but it was still, you know, like I was in middle school in what, 2012, 2013, well before the Supreme court, you know, made uh, gay marriage legal. And so I think it was just still very normal to like bully flamboyant tween boys for seeming gay. And so I think I internalized that, um, that bullying from, from a pretty young age as if you think that's something wrong with me, then it, it, I either want it desperately not to be true or I will have to hide it if it is true. So I don't think I really started coming out to myself and like accepting the fact that I like thought boys were cute um, was an acceptable thing or meant something about my identity until I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, had, I had a few friends, um, you know, I was, I was a theater kid in high school, still am in many ways. And so I had lots of female friends. I've only ever really had female friends. And I think in some ways that helped because I think in some ways queerness is maybe policed differently for men and for women. And I think the fact that I had so many female friends meant that they were just more willing to like nudge me gently and be like, so if you think boys are cute, doesn't that mean something? Like mm-hmm. you, think, you think you're straight, do you really think you're straight? And I, I remember having one conversation in particular where a friend of mine was like, I really don't wanna like push you to come out to yourself, but also like, I think you're bi. And I was like, no, I, I think I'm, I might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it was, in some ways it was hilarious at the moment to have someone else be like, no, I think you need to come out to yourself. And I was like, what? this is what? Oh my goodness. And you know, it was, it was so shocking. Um, and I, and I can remember so many times when I was like, I don't know, 14, 15, just like standing in the shower being like, how will my life be different if I come out? Like yeah. I tell people I'm not straight. They're going to look at me differently. They're going to think about me differently. They're going to assume that's all I am. Mm-hmm. When I was a teenager, that was definitely like a big source of fear was that everyone was going to think they knew me once they knew my sexuality. Yeah. And, you know, in, in the great cliche of cliches, um, it was at a production of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, that's just poetic. I love it. Okay. I decided to come out. Um, and I just decided I needed to tell people. And so I posted on Facebook about it actually. So maybe this is a tie into how like the modern era has made it possible to like come out to hundreds of people all at the same time through a post. Mm-hmm. And you know, that saved me a lot of legwork. I didn't have to like go around to every person I knew at school individually or call all my grandparents and all my <laughs> you know, family members and be like, hey, by the way, I'm bisexual just so you've been updated. Um, and I just like made that knowledge and then I really like had almost no conversations for years afterwards where I had to come out to anyone wow, or, or anyone other than acquaintances. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely, you know, again, I was like, I think 15, 16 at the time. It was, um, it was just a matter of like four or five months before um, the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage. It was that same year. Um, that. <laughs> but yeah, it was, you know, a long time ago now, I don't think about it that much anymore. But yeah, it's, um, I think it is fascinating how role models make a big difference. 
but they're rarely the tipping point. Like you owning up to it yourself, like, you know, in your experience, it was like you had to be out in the world noticing that you were just bisexual for it to matter to you. And for me, I, you know, I was like, I thought the guy who was, you know, the star of Rocky Horror was just incredibly attractive. (laughs) And so I was like, I should probably own up to this, this super queer fiesta of, of things. So I feel like that's a really big core part of coming out, coming out to yourself first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a, like the longer and harder process than you think it is. Even like, I don't know, I, I grew up in the Bay Area. And so both of us are from like relatively Very. liberal, like yeah. accepting communities. And yet it still took, you know, such a while to come to terms with that stuff. Like even within ourselves, never mind, you know, broadcasting it to other people. Right. Yeah, I did um I did speech and debate in high school and one of the speeches I wrote uh involved telling telling the story of my coming out. Um and one of the one of the central um stories in in that speech that I was giving was that um Matthew Shepard, who is the central uh, you know, the the catalytic character of the Laramie project, if you will, if you're familiar with that. Um was uh, beaten to death and died on my birthday, October 12th, 1998. And in that speech, I, I used that as, as a reference point for in my lifetime, we went from, you know, in Wyoming, you could be beaten to death yeah. for being gay to when I came out a few months later, marrying someone of your same sex was legal everywhere in the country. And so I think, I think on top of the, the internet has given us role models and coming out to yourself is a long process. I also think the social pressures in our lifetimes, even, you know, as short as they are, just a a couple decades, has been the single greatest change in what it means to be able to come out. You know, like friends of my parents um, in Eugene, you know, they've been, they've been raising kids and been in some degree of open um, queer relationships for upwards of 30 years at this point. Mm -hmm. But it's it's radically different in my head to hear stories about how they came out to themselves and their families um, in the 80s as compared to you and me coming out in, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, 2014, 2015, 2016, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, those are, those are radically different experiences. So yeah, I'm grateful for that, you know, yeah shift into social um stuff but i don't know i feel like i i haven't even like heard stories about um what it was like to come out you know just like 30 or 50 years ago um besides like you know watching documentaries or um i don't know i think i saw milk that's about it um i'm excited to talk about you know how like queer history and queer representation in media uh, down the road. But yeah, I think part of, part of that social context is, you know, I think pride, like pride as a concept, like being proud of like Mm -hmm. who you are and having this entire community kind of step up and say that like, you know, we're making ourselves public. Like here we are. Yeah, we exist in this space. You, ca- haha, the gays are everywhere. You can't avoid us. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and I also think that you kind of come out to yourself in stages. And in mm-hmm. some ways, I think 
if, if we want to expand what the coming out process means from accepting an identity to maybe owning an identity and the, and the process you go through of deciding how important queerness is in your life, like for some people, it comes to define who they are. It comes to define their careers, their public personas. Like I'm thinking of like Laverne Cox, yeah. you know, like Laverne Cox on any given day, she can decide that maybe she doesn't feel like advertising her queerness everywhere, but her whole career, her whole activism, everything has its roots in being openly and, you know, like confidently trans. And that's, that's like one end of the spectrum of like, some people get to the point where they're so out that it comes to define them. And I think there are also people on the other end of the spectrum for whom, and, and I feel this way sometimes, I wrote, I wrote a column for the Daily Cal about this, about how sometimes your sexual orientation starts to feel just like another detail about you, like not even a fun fact and simply <laughs> just a fact, like yeah. your hair color or your ethnicity. It's just an immutable thing that doesn't matter very much to you. So I think it's, I think it's interesting how different queerness is in different people's lives. It does not mean the same thing to everyone. Um, and I think it even hasn't meant the same thing to me over the course of my life. I don't know if you've had any pieces of art or any pieces of literature or something that has catalyzed you thinking differently about queerness. But I remember, I think it was just a, just a year ago, last summer, that I read and the band played on about the AIDS mm -hmm. epidemic. And I think I had a whole new appreciation for just how profoundly marginalized queer people were. Like, you know, you hear about Black trans women dying all the time in the US still. But I think in some ways, the reason we find out that much about this now, you know, nobody would have heard a darn thing about it 30 years ago. It wouldn't have been considered yeah. news. Um, but it took something on the scale of the AIDS epidemic to get people to pay attention to queer death and things like that. So I think it's, yeah. it is interesting that in different generations and from different sources of art or literature or media, how we evaluate how important that identity is to us. I, just, I know what you mean when you say that. I don't know. When I was kind of like questioning myself as to like, you know, if I was queer or bi or whatever, <laughs> something in between, mm -hmm. um, a lot of what I did was like using my dad's Netflix account and like trying and just like searching the LGBTQ plus section because, <laughs> and you know, going on YouTube and watching coming out videos because yeah. that's, I don't know, hearing about their experiences kind of helped me, I don't know, like learn how to integrate queerness into my own identity um, because what you were saying about how um, like you'll feel sometimes that queerness is just another fact about you yeah I I don't know I'm I still don't know how I feel about my queerness in myself I never posted on social media that mm. I was queer I, I made like a, a pride post but yeah um, it's very interesting when you said that how do you think you like what was your journey on like integrating queerness into your identity i think i think this experience um the experience i'm about to describe is, is pretty common for at least at least a lot of like the queer teenage boys i've encountered mm -hmm. um where i very much felt like i needed to perform this fact 
about myself. I needed to present my queerness, especially to other queer people. Like there, there was no option to kind of hide it or minimize it in our early interactions. It needed to be, it needed to come out for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> um, and I think, I think in some ways it, you know, as a teenager, when you're finding all the ways you can to get other people to like you, like mm-hmm. the only the only people I was interested in as friends were women. Like I, I can count on one hand the number of close male friends I've had in my whole lifetime. Um, and I think something about being queer when you're a teenage guy is that girls are just radically less threatened by you. You, you like you become a friend option so much more quickly if they know that you're like maybe not going to hit on them as as much. Yeah. And so I, I especially felt around my female friends or around people I wanted to be friends with that if I like announced that I was bisexual or made it really clear or I was just like flaming gay all the time in front of them, that it would be entertaining. And mm. I think I have a natural need to perform anyways. Um, Peter Kidd, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding, in, in more ways than one. Um, and so it definitely... My, my coming to incorporate it as a more important thing in my life initially was once I was out, I really leveraged it in social situations with peers because I was like, this is an interesting thing about myself that separates me from all the other generic cis white guys I know who are your age. And it, it was definitely a thing I... I use to get attention and I, I'm like not even particularly embarrassed about that because the only thing most teenagers ever desperately want is attention. So it was a probably developmentally pretty normal behavior, but I definitely feel as I got older, especially since coming to college, um, I was my freshman year, I was in the queer theme program, which mm. was kind of a debacle. Like it wasn't a well-run program. It wasn't very enriching, but I was on a floor with a bunch of other queer people for like the most time I had ever spent around other queer people. In some ways, it still remains the most time I've ever spent around other queer people. Although if you're involved in theater, you're not going to avoid the careers for that long. Um, and I was in, in college too. So in some ways, it's um, college had had another catalytic effect on how I reevaluated what queerness meant to me. Um, mm-hmm. At no point in college did I ever not live with a queer roommate. And I think... I think the effect of having it feel so normal and banal to always have queer roommates and be in the Bay Area and, you know, like I went to, one year I went to Oakland Pride and San Francisco Pride. Awesome. And I know, (laughs) humdinger of a weekend. Um, Perhaps surprisingly, rather than dialing up the degree that my queerness felt like it mattered in my life, having it be so pervasive, so ubiquitous mm-hmm. in college made me feel like it actually was less of a big deal because it was commonplace. It suddenly wasn't my way to get attention because you know every other person I knew was queer or whatever. So it was suddenly a lot less remarkable. And I, in some ways, think that was a really healthy thing for me because it helped me come to terms with the fact that I didn't need to be performing it because mm-hmm. A, half the people I knew wouldn't give a damn because they were queer too. And so it wasn't exactly something new and titillating for them. (laughs) And I also feel very much that 
it's healthy at some point to believe your core immutable traits aren't big deals, or at least aren't big deals unless you choose, you deliberately consciously choose to activate them and acknowledge their relevance. Um, and you know, certainly with things like race, where no part of your life is treated the same based on your race. Mm-hmm. There's kind of no way to escape those traits, but especially the ones where it's more optional. Um, and I think in some ways sexual orientation is one that you can decide how salient it is in your life. I think it's nice to have an opportunity to come to terms with how much that actually matters to you and make mm-hmm. your relationship with it intentional rather than inadvertent or arbitrary or a source of pressure or the outgrowth of pressure. So I think it was good to have my queerness feel banal to me at some point mm-hmm. so that anytime since then that I came back to it and decided it mattered, decided it was something I wanted to have a conversation about or whatever, it could be deliberate. It could be thoughtful. Wow. That's, wow. That's a really foreign concept I mean, to me. <laughs> not, not, not to give myself too much credit. I'm sure there are still ways in which I, you know, use being by as a source of attention or, or whatever. Like there are still ways in which I, I interact with facts about myself in a way that is less mature and intellectually rigorous than I'd like to. But I definitely think I am closer to a place where it is a mutable fact that I can decide how important it is and not one that kind of has me by the collar instead of the other way around. Wow. That's empowering. That was empowering for Thank me you, to hear. Oh, like sitting here. No, no, I just like, like, because just because I think we've had really different journeys, you know, like, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I only came out two years ago. So it's like a that's really true. That's, that's different concept for me. Yeah. And like my, all my friends in high school were straight um, until like my mm, senior wow. year. Yeah. And I think I can count the number of queer friends I have on one hand. And I know, I just, it's very weird because like when I first came out, I- And you're from the Bay Area. That's so surprising to me. It's very weird. I was like a weirdly sheltered, like withdrawn um, child and teen. So I, (laughs) yeah, I just didn't really know what kind of, you know, what kind of queer I wanted to be, if that makes sense. That's fair. Like, yeah, like when I first came out, I was dating a man and then I dated men and didn't really interact with my queerness until um, my senior year of high school when I made my first like really true like queer friend. And Mm. then I, and then she like, you know, basically took my hand and exposed me to like this whole new world of being proud about who you are. And um, of course, I immediately cut my hair. (laughs) You had your you had your Princess Jasmine moment where yeah. your friend took you on a carpet ride. Yeah. <laughs> For real. And then my Mulan moment where I immediately gave myself a bob. And then I started dressing different. And then college yeah. came around and I was like, I'm going to make it so, like, in, like, subtly obvious that I'm queer so that... Um, the queers can come to me because I can pick up the pheromones and be like, yeah, exactly. That's one of us. Yeah. (laughs) Like I went to one QSU meeting at the beginning of my first semester at Cal and (laughs) I was there and I was like, I don't really feel like I connect with any of these like people. And so I never went back. 
and then I just put some rainbow stickers on my laptop and like hope for the best. <laughs> and hope for the best. <laughs> um, I do think you have at least one or two naked women on your laptop, which yeah, that was which, a conscious know, choice. It's a, uh, it's a clear suggestive thing <laughs> for you to for you to choose. Yeah, if there are tits on my laptop, they gotta know. They gotta know. There's there's yeah. no way to yeah. <laughs> That's that's really funny. And I, you know, I do take your point about we've had very different journeys. And in some ways, I feel lucky that mine has has been as long as it has and in that I, I did know as early as I knew, but definitely not still the kids who, who know when they're like eight or nine. Yeah. I mean, should I probably have guessed that the fact I thought <laughs> Ethan Fritzberg was really cute was a sign that Ethan maybe, <laughs> yeah, he was one of my classmates in elementary school. Um, yeah, like, should I have taken that as a sign that probably I was not heterosexual? Maybe, like, you know, the likelihood of that. Um, yeah, that, that probably should have told me something, but... <laughs> it, it is interesting, too, though. I think sometimes, to your point about the, the QSU meeting, I think sometimes other people's confidence in their own queerness can be really intimidating. Um, yeah. Like, they're so sure of themselves. They're so comfortable advertising it. They they have their eyelashes on fleek and they can walk around in heels or they rock a pixie cut like nobody's business mm-hmm. or, you know, like their their eyebrow slit is like, oh my gosh, it's all on point. You know, it sometimes very much feels like, wow, other people have their act together. They're owning all the signals of queerness. What am I going to do? How, how do I how do I even compete with that? Yes. And if I can't compete with that, am I just a fraud, you know? Like there was a long time where like I got my ears pierced on my birthday, what, I, not quite a full year ago at this point, but it was definitely like, it felt like a watershed moment. It felt like That's awesome. now I'm one of those bi guys who has his ears <laughs> pierced and that means I'm in the club. And it oh was, my gosh. you know, it's, it was, it, in some ways it's like so juvenile and so absurd that like little things like, like the little signifiers of yeah. queerness matter so much to us but I also think that's one of the beautiful things at times about being in an in-group is that you get you get to revel in the little signifiers of this is my identity this is who I belong with these are the people whose aesthetic choices when they present themselves seem really cool to me I want to do that too yeah so in some ways it, it is an affirmation of your own sense of belonging once you feel comfortable enough to like pick which ones really fit you and aren't just arbitrary expressions. Yeah, I love that idea. Um, I mean, like while queer like stereotypes um, aren't necessarily great for the community when we're trying to communicate to yeah. uh, the straights. Like <laughs> for that. sure. Yeah, yes. but I think they're helpful for like when you're trying to figure out yourself like you can kind of like dip a toe into each of these different quote-unquote stereotypes and figure out your own like combination of those traits if that makes sense like and the kind of like quote-unquote person that you want to be so i'm so like touched right now (laughs) (laughs) well um i do think we should clarify to our audience next week that we are definitely um wanting to talk about intra-queer conflict and we also want to talk about um, queer history and I think definitely stereotypes are going to feature in that discussion as they might be a useful thing for you when you're coming out they you know Mm -hmm. they definitely were for me like the fact that I thought the boys in high heels were more attractive than the boys who weren't in high heels like that's 
you know, it's a, again, those, <laughs> those stereotypes are double-edged sword, but they also are inevitably part of what queerness is, you know, as, as cliched and stereotyped as parts of it are, you know, they, they are also touchstones and you have to figure out what parts of them are valuable and productive and innocuous and what parts of them carry risks, especially mm -hmm. when, as, as you put it, um, they're brought outside of the community and they are no longer queer touchstones and they are suddenly what we're reduced to. So mm -hmm. I definitely think we should um, pursue that next week or oh, I guess our next, our next episode, but yeah. <laughs> well, wonderful. Um, thank you all for joining us on this inaugural episode of Who We Are, and we look forward to seeing you in our next episode. Heck yeah.